Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 317th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that slaps bad specs out of your hand faster than the fresh prints on a meltdown. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everybody, glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to sharing valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on the agenda this week? Well, we're going to start off by talking about uh, three different uh, big-time events that went down this week. Uh, we're also going to discuss uh, the top movers online and in paper. Then you and I will talk about our cards to watch, uh, including a reader pick that, frankly, one of us should have thought of. And we're going to close out by talking about Commander Legends 2, the battle for Baldur's Gate. We got some uh, some spoilers and some preview action to go on, and there's some spicy stuff in there. Alrighty, so kicking things off with the Magic Online Metagame Week in Review, we've got a triple dose of uh, big modern tournaments, starting with the Modern Super Qualifier that was on March 28th. Uh, we, the winner of that contest was Blue-White Hammer Time, relatively unchanged post Luris Ban. Blue-Red Murktide running one Ottawara. Living End running two Ottawara. Blue-Red Murktide again in fourth running one Ottawara. Fifth and sixth were both four-color Yorion Omnath decks, both running two Baseju. Uh, and eighth place was Blue-Red Murktide again with one Ottawar. And if you're wondering why, I'm, why I keep flagging those lands, it's because we are trying to figure out whether the price gap between Ottawara and Baseju is justified. I tweeted out this afternoon that I think that uh, based on the broad play that Ottawara is seeing, I suspect that gap should narrow. I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> in the mean, in the mean, in the meantime, Baseju is holding pretty steady around twenty-five. So my dreams of picking up copies near ten are are looking less and less likely. Well, we to be fair, you know, most of us were in that boat that we thought it would go down in price some, and you know, it's it's got time. Um, I wrote a, an article uh, not too long ago about how our our timelines have kind of shifted in COVID, and um, it is possible that, you know, this is going to go down more, especially because it's the, the new hotness. But, man, if, once we start getting events in paper, like, how high do you think it would spike to? We're, get, we're getting some events in paper. Let me let me rephrase that. But, like, Boseju at 25, are you ready to get in yet? Because I don't think there's much better than a, a, a land that's all over the place, Boseju and Ottawara. No, I don't think so. And I think that it, it, it actually tempts me to go after Neon Dynasty product more than it does the card itself at 25. You have a pretty decent chance of pulling one of these out of a box, given that it's just a rare. 
And if it ends up in the in the mid to high 30s by next year, in that kind of scenario, then it's covering a third of a box by itself. That's a pretty solid place to be, uh, especially if you can get some boxes on the cheap. Um, most interesting list of this top eight in the super qualifier was the Grixis Shadow list, not because Grixis Shadow is unique, but flagging it because of some of the shakeup in cards included. Post Luris, they're now running two Liliana of the Void, sorry, Liliana of the Veil, and uh, four Death Shadow, and then Scourge of the Skyclaves is apparently back on the menu. It's been, was in Jun's Shadow for a while, then kind of fell to the wayside for the better part of a year, and now we see it re-emerging as a four of in this list that fit top eight. So a card worth keeping your eye on, given that it is a mythic, not a rare like Death Shadow. There's a, a lot of it out there, but you would think these two would go together like peanut butter and jelly. You know, when it comes into play, well, you've got to kick it to make each player lose their life, like, to lose half the life. So that's a that's a healthy two plus five mana there. The thing is that, say you cast this on turn four, and the your life totals between you and your opponent are something like 12 and 14, which is not uncommon in modern given the painful land bases. Um, and a, f- a few early hits from Ragavan or elsewise in the decks. Um, this thing has a power and toughness each equal to 20 minus the highest life total among players. So let's say that's the scenario. Somebody's at 14. This is a 6-6 six, six for 2. And then just gets bigger just like Death Shadow as, as time goes on. So uh, it seems to earn the role here. Whether or not that's going to be consistent remains to be seen. I just, I can't imagine playing against a stupid card in person and, like, having to do the math 18 times in a match would drive yeah, me crazy. It's, it's annoying. Yeah. And, and you're going to make a mistake at some point. You are sure. going to make some hardcore mistakes. Uh, there'd need to be a spin down on there. Now, I think the spiciest thing all week is in this modern challenge on the 27th, it was won by Mardu Reanimator. And we've seen Reanimator decks... Mm, off and on since uh, the advent of Modern Horizons 2, uh, getting Persist into the mix and Archon of Cruelty from MH2 along with Priest of Fell Rites really activated the archetype. Um, and now we have two additional uh, buffs to the deck. Three Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which is the Kiki-Jiki analog once it flips over. It starts as a 2-2 Goblin sh- shaman creature token with whenever this creature attacks create a treasure token so it's kind of got slow slow ragavan vibes going there then on the next turn you get to discard up to two cards and if you do draw that many cards which play functions as a faithless looting to stalk the graveyard and set up what's going to happen next which is either you're going to flip this and it's going to get a chance to do its thing and copy a creature that has been persisted back in the graveyard or brought back with priest of fell rites or it's going to copy, say, Priest of Felright, so that Priest can do double duty and bring two creatures back from the graveyard. And they've got Fury, Grief, uh, Ox of Agonis, Seasoned Pyromancer, Solitude, uh, all as options to bring back. There's a couple of weird things here. I don't understand why they only have three Persist. I mean, four Persist seems like the, the default standard. Um... Touch of the Spirit Realm is also interesting. This is uh, Ed of Neon Dynasty. And people may have uh, overlooked the flexibility level on this card initially. It is essentially a Banishing Light with upside where if you don't want to do that, you can channel it instead to blink something instead of exiling it so long as the enchantment's on the table. 
Well, I think that if you're already planning on doing ridiculous fury and grief things, you know, this is a deck with four ephemerate and two Malakir rebirth. It is it is heavy on the flicker plan. Touch the spirit realm that gives you exactly that flexibility. Your worst case is it's an O-ring. And you, sometimes you just need the O-ring. It doesn't hit a planeswalker. It doesn't hit uh, enchantments. But, you know, you do get two more copies of a flicker effect that uh, in a deck that really wants them. And sometimes you're just flickering your stuff for value. You know, if you manage to cast one of these uh, elementals or you reanimate one in a play, you know, you're going you're gonna to do some work. After you persist it, you can get another trigger with Touch of Spirit Realm, and now it's full size. What's not and to it's love? Cute. And it's cute that there's eight total Flicker-esque effects between Touch the Spirit Realm, two Malakir Rebirth, and four Ephemerate, because they do double duty here. When they're targeting things like Grief, Fury, or Solitude, you're basically just getting double triggers off those things entering the battlefield. And when they're doing something like Archon of Cruelty, things get real nasty. Um, as we found out in the uh, EDH game we played amongst Pro Traders this weekend when I was running uh, Archon of Cruelty into a Panharmonicon on board. And You're a bad man. This, you should... having, the, having the same level of nastiness uh, apply... That kind of play is the heart and soul of Commander, and we both know it. It's true. Um, all right, so Martyr Reanimator, first place, very impressive. And then the second place deck was no less interesting. Uh, it At first glance, it looks like it's going to be blue-red Murktide with four Dragon's Rage Channeler and four Ragavan, and then you realize there's no Murktides. <laughs> Instead, there's four Emery Lurker of the Lock and a Thassa's Oracle. They're still running the complement of Lightning Bolts on Holy Heat and Expressive Iteration, and then, but then they have 13 artifacts to go with the Emery package. Uh, which is Ether Spellbomb, three Grinding Station, four Mishra's Bauble, three Mox Amber, a Shadow Spear, and a Springleaf Drum, which also, a lot of which can be fetched with the four Urza Saga in your land base. And then they're running four Underworld Breach to be able to bring stuff back from uh, the graveyard and use it again. This is a pretty unique brew that we have not seen the likes of lately in this format. I really like uh, you're leading off with DRC or uh, Ragavan into, like, you're going to do some Unholy Heat or you do an Expressive Iteration, and your opponent's like, okay, all right, I got to get ready for this plan. And then you're just like, uh, Grinding Station into Underworld Breach, <laughs> yeah. combo off, yeah. here's the Oracle, <laughs> GG. What do you sideboard for? You know? Yeah. This is great. Yeah. This is beautiful. I'm sure there are games where they just won off of the sweet things you can do with Dragon's Rage Channeler and uh, Ragavan into Emery just for pure value off of a Mishra's Bobble. But, like, you know, you got the Bolt and Heat package just like any other aggro deck would be. I'm I'm really, really impressed with this. And, of course, you know, Four Urza Saga, which will win games all on its own. This deck does a hard head fake for Murktide, for sure. and And then your opponent gets very confused on turns three and four. Um, so third place in this uh, in this top eight was four-color Yurion Omnath with two Viseju and one Ottawara that also placed seventh. Then we had another interesting deck. This is probably one of the more interesting top eights in recent memory. Fourth place list was another Yurion list, but a very odd-looking one. This is basically Yurion and Taxes. It's got 31 white creatures that have found homes and death and taxes brews. So you've got your 
everything from Charming Prince and Esper Sentinel to Flicker Wisp, Ranger Captain of Eos, Skyclave Apparition, Solitude, Spirited Companion out of Neon Dynasty, a draft all-star, four Sun Titan, a three-man inspector, and four Wall of Omens. And then with 31 creatures, they're still running four Supreme Verdict in the main. Uh, what what are they afraid of is my question. Like, between your package of stuff, you've got the Ranger Captain you to go fetch things, you've got the Four of Solitude, you know, you got your Walls of Omens and Flicker Wisping things. Like, I don't know what they were afraid of, but they did get fourth place on this. They They played it well, and... It must have worked out. You know, there's a cleansing Nova in the sideboard of all things, just just in case of, you know, other shenanigans. Maybe they didn't, they just wanted to make sure they didn't lose to some random creature deck. But that seems unlikely, but I clearly do not play enough modern to know the answer to this. Super weird, because they also have four Ephemerate and four March of Otherworldly Light. That's That part's not weird. But Ephemerate, like... Your timing choices when you're running four Teferi Time Raveler, four Supreme Verdict, 30 creatures, and four Ephemerate starts to get pretty interesting, right? I mean, I could, this, uh, is a re, this makes a lot of sense as an Ephemerate deck. It just doesn't make a lot of sense as a Supreme Verdict deck. I, I guess the idea is that they Sun Titan things back after they've wiped the board. The Sun Titan chains on this are really ridiculous. It's true. You're going to Sun Titan back a Flicker Wisp to Flicker the Sun Titan get back or a ranger a ranger captain to yeah. go get a one drop yeah it, it gets ridiculous i, I mm-hmm. like a lot of what we're doing here so you know 80 card decks once would have been laughed off the tables and they regularly top eight so apparently having a broader tool set is totally fine if you have a four or five flyer that can flicker your board for free mm-hmm. Well, it's not free. It's uh, five mana plus three mana. So, sure, but I mean that you you have ex- access to the additional card every every game. Um, and then we had shardless footfalls in fifth and sixth here, both running one Boseju, one Ottawara. Four color Yorian Omnath, as I said, was also in seventh. Uh, ditto two Boseju, one Ottawara. And then in eighth place, this is also a fairly interesting list. Um, it's blue. It has shades of blue white hammer time. But they're not running any hammers. Instead, they have two Urza Lord High Artificer, four Metallic Rebuke, and a complement of artifacts, Cauldre Complete, Mishra's Bauble, Nettle Cyst, Python Needle, Portable Hole, Relic of Progenitus, a Shadow Spear, two Spring Leaf Drum, and again, the requisite force Urza Saga to go along with all that. So this is like blue-white Urza artifacts. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it's got the blue-white artifact land that has to come into play tapped, but it's indestructible. It's got four Darksteel Citadel. Um, you know, Thought Monitor, the, the Muldrifter one. Like, that's that's so good. It's ridiculous. I'm surprised uh, Thoughtcast didn't make this list. I'm sure they tried real hard to fit Thoughtcast in here and just decided it wasn't necessary. But they, they went... Well, they, they went for, uh, you know, two on the Nettle Cyst instead of even just a one of there. So their, their package on game one... Like, there's not a sword to be seen. There's, uh... And none of the, and none of the sideboard either. Yeah. Um... And I guess and I guess the, the artifact lands are there because t- to boost the Nettle Cyst. Um, and to allow Ingenious Smith to search up lands. Right. Um, 
But it's odd to me that if you're going to go all there, why not go within Soul Artifact? And Soul Artifact gives you an indestructible 5-5 with seven of those lands. Yeah, that's true. There's there's a lot of cool things you can do with this. I'm sure, you know, Metallic Rebuke surprised the shit out of a lot of people, too. Like, you don't need to have... You have one blue mana, you're like, all right, you, I can play around a spell pierce. And they're like, surprise! Yeah, it's, be- it's, better, it's better than Counterspell in this deck, because it's, it's a single blue Counterspell. Yeah. They're not... They're, I also love uh, any deck that puts Dispatch in the sideboard. Oh, God bless that card. Uh, I have so many good memories of that. All right, so moving on over to the Modern Showcase Challenge on the back on the 26th. This was also won by a very, fairly interesting deck, the Reemergence of Black Green Rock. Um, I think exactly the kind of deck people thought wasn't going to be seen in Modern this year. Um, part of the conversation around Liliana the Veil being that this deck was nowhere to be found, and yet here it is winning a tournament with a configuration that's not particularly innovative, it's updated, but I wouldn't say that this is anything different than this deck has ever been doing. Four Liliana of the Veil, three Dark Confidant, three Dothy Voidwalker, four Elvish Reclaimer, four Tarmogoyf, a Tireless Tracker, two Inquisition of Kozlek, four Thoughtseize, three Witherbloom Command is, is the, the chief innovation. This is the green-black sorcery out of Strixhaven that where you get to choose two of the following. Target player mills three cards, then you return a land card from your graveyard to your hand. Or, destroy target non-creature, non-land permanent with mana value 2 or less. Or, target creature gets minus 3, minus 1 until end of turn. Or, target opponent loses 2 life and you gain 2 life. I'm willing to bet that the two modes chosen most often are 2 and 3. Against all of these low-slung decks that tend to have a piece of equipment and a creature of 1 toughness on the board, it's like, kill kill a Ragavan, kill a, a Shadow Spear. Or kill a uh, Nettle Cyst and... Or I guess Nettle Cyst is three mana, right? Right. But kill like an Esper Sentinel and uh, an Ingenious Smith or something. Actually, and that doesn't work either because one of those is not an animal creature. But you get the idea. <laughs> you kill a piece of equipment and you kill a small creature and that's basically what that's there for. It's a, So you can't kill an opposing Urza's Saga with this because it's still a land. It's an enchantment land. So that doesn't work. It, I mean, this, this is a card that sh- feels like it should do some work. They're, they're really focusing on getting lands coming and going they're, with four Elvish Reclaimer. And, uh, you know, you get value out of your Nurturing Peatland. You're going to... Reclaimer does not put the land into your hand. But, you know, rebuying a, a Boseju with a Witherbloom Command seems like a good thing. Or you can rebuy your Takanuma if you really want. There is one man land in here, and not the uh, turn to a death toucher either. It's the treetop village, the, the ape land. Yeah. So, Black Green Rock, first place. Shardless Hood Falls in second, running one Beseju to Ottawara. Eldrazi Tron showed up out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, it was really a, a throwback weekend uh, with four Karn the Great Creator. Uh, in the main and third, Living End again in fourth with two Ottawara, Shardless Hood Falls again, one Besaju, one Ottawara, Heliod Combo with four uh, three mana Teferi, one Besaju, and four Coco, and then four color Omnath Yorion in seventh and eighth with two Besaju each. The most storied card, or, or sorry, archetype in these three tournaments is four color Yorion Omnath with uh, a total of six placements out of uh, 24 slots. And blue, blue red Murktide is not far behind, 
and shardless footfalls. And then the rest of it is a smattering of new and exciting things and known archetypes. I got a random question for you, James. When you say Otawara, are you thinking of the Nickelodeon show about Salute Your Shorts and Camp? Uh, uh, um, Nickelodeon wasn't really a thing in, in Canada when I was growing up, so no. Oh, all right. Well, I, I keep hearing Salute Your Shorts whenever you say Otawara because it's Camp Otawana. <laughs> And uh, I just wanted to check on that with you. So, well, gotcha. uh, this is this is cool. And do you think that Loris was holding this stuff down, like preventing people from wanting to play Reanimator or Yorion in Taxes or Eldrazi? Trial? Well, the, well, the people that were, I mean, I don't think your, Loris has anything to do with Eldrazi Tron, but it certainly impacts your willingness to play Liliana of the Veil, Fable of the Mirror Breaker grinding station stuff like that emery um because in most most brews you would be looking to not go over three casting costs and somehow work in alluras but the you know last week there was vague signals that format lost aggro um and we were wondering aloud whether that would continue this week looks uh just fine I mean, I don't, I don't, I still don't think Luris needed to go, but if this is the result, what we're seeing here, totally fine. The, the format's still very diverse. There's still plenty of innovation going on. Luris being absent has added some fresh angles, and that seems like the best possible result. Okay. I'm with you on that. Uh, ready right. to talk? Paper movers? Go right ahead. Our first big mover this week is Kalia the Vast. The Double Masters uh, regular version has bumped a little bit from about 25 to 33 gaining $8 because, you know, there's going to be some sweet demons uh, coming in New Capenna. There's some sweet dragons coming in uh, Battle for Baldur's Gate. And Kalia the Vast is just awesome whenever we get new stuff of these tribes. So uh, get ready for some cool decks featuring her. Uh, after that, we have uh, Vanquisher's Banner, the Old Border Foils from Time Spiral Remastered. Uh, a pick of yours last week uh, went from 35 to 55. Uh, you know, it's a great commander card. We talked about how great it is last week when you picked it to go... From... 35 to 65. So you're, you know, two-thirds of the way there. Good job, James. Good job. Well, I mean, that's... These are important to flag. When you see a movement right after a call, whether it's from us or anybody else assume that there's a good chance that will retrace because clearly that that immediate impetus to clear 20 30 copies off the table in the market was from speculators that listened to the cast um that said these are not easy to restock i would imagine they do not get turned into buy lists all that often um because because they are so rare you know getting any foil um from this subset is one in 27 packs. These boxes are not cheap and they're getting more expensive by the week. And nobody's really cracking TSPR on mass as a result. So I don't expect you to see much in the way of backflow on these. And if you bought any in the you know last week or in the la- in the the previous months in the $25 to $35 range, your exit is already here. So you don't need to wait around and find out what's going on. You can just go ahead and try to dump them near 50 and you'll be doing fine. 
I always agree with the uh, dump into the spike. So this this next one is interesting. Hidetsuru Devouring Chaos Neon Red. This is the rarest version of this mediocre card. Ah, it's not even mediocre. It's a medium good card, um, but still mystified people that it would be chosen for such a high profile promo. You know, the rarest thing you can pull out of Neon Dynasty product is this. Uh, and I had bought one locally around 800 US and flipped it for double like within 24 hours and felt like I was doing pretty well. And when I reported that on Twitter a couple weeks ago, people were like, oh, so lucky to get out so fast. Like these are going to crash so hard. And indeed, the yellow ones that are the LGS promos where the premium LGSs got uh, 10 each or something. So there's, you know, a single digit thousands of those floating around. Those have continued to slide and slide and slide because I did a, a deal with an LGS in the US where I picked up a couple of boxed products and basically got the Neon Hidetsugu for free through a hookup by another pro trader. You know, one of the many benefits uh, of pro traders that in the Discord you're constantly hooking each other up um, with, with good opportunities. But I haven't managed to unload the yellow one yet. So it's not clear how far in the, in the plus column I will be because people keep undercutting each other to try to unload them. You know, nobody has a lot of confidence in that least rare version of the card. The reds, on the other hand, are drying up pretty hard. And the lowest priced copy I can find online right now is about 1800 sorry, about $2,800. Last week, it was closer to 1800 So had I held on, I could ostensibly be flipping it at minimum at, at around 2000 instead of the 1600 I got out at. And I would bet that there are deals to be done between 2000 and 2400 um, If you open, you know, post it on eBay and open up to international shipping, you're probably going to be able to, you know, get an exit there. So for those people that thought this rarest version of the card was going to tank, I just don't see that happening. I'm wondering who thought that uh, super rare things would tank because Magic players have proven we are into things that are rare. We love that. We love ampersand promos. We love random color changes. We love everything but the uh, the 83 versions of Teferi Master of Time when they did like a whole bunch of different arts with that where they were interchanging them. You get this like every 1,800 packs if I remember my article right. So uh, that's eighteen every one every 1,800 commander, I'm sorry, <laughs> collector boosters. So calling this the rarest in the set, I think, is underselling it because you have to open a ridiculous amount of product to hit one of these. I think there's a large slice of the community, even in the MTG Finance attuned portion of the community, that still thinks that your ability to unload a card is is very tightly tied to the card's performance in competitive slash uh, popular formats. And while that certainly helps, and and indeed, if this had been, you know, March of Unthroworldly Light or Besaju or something, it, <laughs> these would be even more obscene. But um, yeah, there are definitely people underestimating what simple rarity will do. And the rumor on the street is that with the that a the double masters two is not going to have VIP packs again. Instead, it will have collector boosters, which is not a huge surprise. VIPs were kind of awkward. Branding was awkward. Response to them was was awkward. They ended up doing very well. You know, but a lot of us got in uh, under $100 a hundred dollars a pack, and they are closer to two hundred now. Um, 
But apparently they're going to be trying to push the collector boosters for Double Masters 2 in the five to $600 retail range. Wow. For 12 packs. And, and part of how they're going to justify that is they're going to expand their program of signed and numbered cards. So expect like one of 100s, maybe one of 50s, one of 25s, one of 1s and signed by the artist it's unclear based on rumor whether those are two separate subsets like artist signed cards versus uh numbered cards or whether that's all part of the same package but that's part of what is expected to be going on with with double masters too and so we're going to get a heaping helping of this stuff this year and we'll get a pretty good sense by the end of the year how well the market absorbs it given the appetite we've shown for secret layers given the way that the like if they hadn't called it the vip pack uh they they probably would have been just fine on double masters um and the the fact that we are going crazy for all kinds of stuff in the collector boosters you know i'm i don't think they can overestimate the amount of money that magic whales will throw at things the question is can they oversaturate it with too many uh chase products in one year and it's going to take a a whole lot for that to happen i imagine i don't think we'll hit it this year i think it's going to be another banner year for them you know they've they've made the right moves so far in this regard there's there's also something to be said for training your whales right once (laughs) you, you you have successfully set the expectation that things are increasingly rare and increasingly cool and increasingly more expensive the people with with flexible disposable income are not going to flinch like when we when we mentioned the five or six hundred dollar collector booster packs hands were already up trying to get in line to pre-order now keep in mind like our pro trader discord awesome though it is it's a really self-selecting group of people who want to be plugged in and are ready to like spend serious money yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure, for sure. But I mean, th- we're talking about the whales, so it's relevant to reference what was happening in there. The there is going to be plenty of cross chatter on social media about what a rip off these are and blah 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 by people that don't know what they're talking about. Because I guarantee, and really Wizards should is, know. Wizards is going to go out of their way to justify that price point, and they'll do it with these hyper rare pulls that end up going for thousands of dollars. We, we have seen it out of multiple products just in the last year alone. Um, they're clearly committed to creating hyper-rare magic collectibles. It's amazing to many of us in this side of the hobby that it took them as long as it did to get there. It's worked very well in the sports card space. There is a saturation point for sure, and it's debatable that in sports cards they've basically pushed past their their new saturation point and they're headed back into a in a tr- into a troublesome position. But there is a large gap between where Wizards is at now with Magic and and hyper rare versions of cards, and where sports cards is, which is much further down the road. And so I think you know they've got some room to explore here for another few years before there's any risk of it being problematic. All right, so moving right along, we got Argothian Enchantress out of Urza's Saga. This is just a non-foil version because, of course, there are no foils in that set. That was the last set to not have foils. Uh, going from 60 to 95, clearly on the back of Goshintai and Sithis. Even the EMA copies are at 70. So there was a pretty amazing pickup there for, for people that had stockpiled those. I don't 
think I remember that ever being a pick on cast. It wouldn't have been from me, but maybe from Travis somewhere along the way. But if you look back as far as early, uh, recently as, you know, middle of 2018, these were six bucks. So if you can, if you have $6 Argothian Enchantresses that you're able to unload somewhere between 60 and 90, you're doing very well. Man, oh man, $6. What was I thinking in 2018? Oh, uh, let's see. Next up, we have Humility out of Tempest. Uh, the reserve list card has gone from 55 to around 90. Um, Humility is, of course, the one that says all creatures with all abilities and are now 1-1s. And it is like it's got its own section in the comprehensive rules or something like that. It's so complicated the way how that works. And this is just follow on to other reserve list cards that have been popping up on this list the last couple of weeks where it's the time of the year where sales are peaking. And it also happens, tends to be the time of the year where somebody takes some swipes at some reserve list cards and tries to push them to a new tier. Tax return season, buddy. Yep. I mean, my, my sales have doubled in the last month and we've heard plenty of pro traders that vend a lot saying the same kind of thing. Uh, Daybreak Coronet out of Future Sight foils uh, with gorgeous art, by the way, uh, going from 33 to 55. I've definitely got a couple of those sitting around in the stalled specs box, so I should probably pull them out and get them listed. Core Haven, uh, we're talking about the BFZ Expedition. Uh, these are you know, one of the weaker expeditions, but still eventually have managed to turn the corner and go from 45 to 75 this week for 67% gains. We've got Aurelia, the war leader, out of uh, Gate Crash, going, foils going from 42 to 75. That's going to be on the back of Ishin. And likewise, Anthem of Rakdos from Dissension, foils going from 6 to 12. 100% gains on the back of Ishin. I mean, sell those things. They're, that's a tough card to get any kind of amazing use out of because, like the Rakdos like to do, it hurts yourself so good even as it hurts the other player too. Yeah, really... Uh, Aurelia's got broader chops, but oh, still yeah. a, a, a sell into that kind of price tier. Uh, next up, we have Wall of Roots, the uh, time-shifted uh, from Time Spiral, not the remastered sheet. This is with the, uh, the, the regular reprint look. It doesn't have the old border or anything. Uh, these foils have gone from about 25 to 55 because it's part of uh, the infinite combos and the Yawgmoth decks. Yeah, in modern, yeah. Next up, we have Deadeye Quartermaster out of Ixalan. This is an uncommon. The foils jumped from about $4 to 9 because uh, when it comes into play, you get to search for an article, excuse me, an arti- a vehicle or an equipment. And uh, commander players love searching this up in their blue-white vehicles decks. Pride of the Cloud foils at a dissension going 10 to 28. Uh, no idea what's going on there. Um, the... Second chance non-foils out of Urza's Legacy went from 9 to 26. I'm not sure if that showed up in a Legacy deck or something. Um, Didn't have a chance to track that one down, but if anybody knows, feel free to throw us a line. And then the aforementioned Fable of the Mirror Breaker that uh, won the Modern Challenge on the 27th went from $1 to $4 for regular copies on the back of Top 8 Modern Reanimator play. Just double-checking here to see what the buy list offers are like on this card right now. See if the the retailers seem to be believers. They're offering 250 US, 325 credit. So any of our people that snatched them up near a dollar are already in very uh, solid buy list territory. It's always a good feeling when you've got uh, everything nicely covered. 
I mean, if you can triple up on a buy list with 100 copies of this and within three weeks of buying them, you're that's MTG Finance in a nutshell right there. That feels real good, man. Feels real good. Uh, top Magic Online Movers of the Week, Witherbloom Command that we talked about in that green-black rock deck uh, went from 2.5 ticks to 4 ticks or so, 58% gains. Liliana of the Veil herself at Avinistrad, uh, 17 ticks to 27 ticks, 61% gains on the back of being used in both Black Green Rock and various Jund variants. Uh, Cabal Coffers and Golos Tireless Pilgrim were showing up in a Urgborg Coffers Golos brew that Aspiring Spike was pushing pretty hard on his, uh, his streams last week. And as a result, Cabal Coffers went from 4 ticks to almost 9 ticks, 100% plus gains. And Golos went from 0.6 ticks to 3.3, 440% gains. Um, keep your eye on Cabal Coffers at a Modern Horizons 2 if that deck keeps pushing. Um, I suspect it's going gonna, it's gonna to linger on the fringes as opposed to you know posting up in top 8s regularly. We didn't see any sign of it in the 24 decks we looked at above. But... Uh, for Cabal Coffers to see modern play on top of EDH will certainly help that MH2 Mythic, uh, you know, foil borderless copies, for instance, get there faster. Uh, and then wrapping up the Magic Online movers, we have Phyrexian Crusader out of Miraton Besiege, 0.74 ticks to 2.72 ticks, 270% gains on the back of modern Infect. Um, there is a rumor going around that there's going to be Infect cards in New Capenna, uh, and that might have something to do with this. Well, uh, we'll get to find out in the fun way. Um, New Capenna, we're, we're getting the the little teasers in the storylines. They mentioned Urbrask. They've mentioned Phyrexians. So instead of making us wait another year for the next Praetor, it's now two and two sets. So we'll see what they're building up to on that. Well, I mean, one of, I was expressing one of the pro traders had recommended, I think, Karn's Bastion as their pick. And I, did, I didn't see any immediate impetus to be snapping that off. But... Uh, their part of their justification was that Finn the Fangbearer could have been a signal from Kaldheim, because that was the one three death touch legendary creature human warrior for one and a green that has whenever a creature you control with death touch deals combat damage to a player that player gets two poison counters. So entirely possible that you could see showcase foil Finn's takeoff um, if they get if they drop the news that there's a pretty solid uh, poison theme. Now, if there's not, that's <laughs> that's going to be a pretty loose spec. And the gaming company currently has 1,300 <laughs> copy, <laughs> copies of the Foil Showcase Fin posted at 17 cents on TCG Player. So how how convinced are you that there is a poison a play to be made? Because you could easily snap off 100 copies for $17 and look to buy list at a dollar or something. You said 1,700 at 17 cents? Thirteen hundred at seventeen cents. So for a hundred bucks, for seventeen bucks, you could snap off a hundred copies. So for two hundred twenty-one dollars, you could you could lock up the market on that and uh, just. <laughs> I don't know how I I don't know how popular poison has to get for you to be able to unload those thirteen hundred copies. Because keep in mind, the most you could ever buy a list of almost anything. Is about a hundred copies. At a I've time. never I've never seen a buy list offer for more than a hundred copies. You'd have to show up at like, you know, a Grand Prix with a vendor, and you've got, you know, two long boxes of just Finn the Fang Bear showcase foils, 
and you're like, okay, if you're going to give me 53 cents for each one, sold, man. I just tripled up on 1,300 like, copies. Yeah, like Heart Kingdom will take 100, <laughs> 105 copies of Ragavan currently. So so I don't think you want 1,000 copies of Finn the Fangbearer Foil Showcase. But maybe you want 100 copies as a fun little spec if you believe in, in Infect suddenly being a thing in Standard and or Pioneer plus EDH. Um I would want to go back and double check what the names of the decks have been revealed to be for New Capenna to see if any of them seem like they are poison related. Uh, I looked at the um, the ones for uh, what's its facer the commander the batter for Baldur's Gate, but I don't know if they've released have they released the names for the other one. For uh... well, we know we know that the colors of them are all shard based. So if there was going to be a poison shard, <clears throat> it could potentially be black, red, green. I I, I can't imagine they do um, non-shard decks. You'll get like one for each of the the shard. Yeah, you, uh, we've been told uh, obscure operation, Maestro's Mask, Riveteer's Rampage, Cabaretti Cacophony, and Bedecked Brokers. So we're getting one for each shard. Yeah. So the, the Jund one is called Riveter's Rampage. So the question is, you know, is that is there going to be a face commander that mentions poison in that deck? Um, I, I'm a little dubious still. I don't think I'm going to be make, trying to make any plays on poison quite yet. Uh, kind of thing I, I tend to avoid, these like short-term narrow theme specs. But uh, somebody might make some money. All right, let's move on over to some cards I do believe in. Uh, cards to watch for the week. I'm going to kick things off with the Secluded Courtyard LGS promo in foil. Because this land is already in 4,500 EDH decks reported. 5% of all decks. Very excellent tribal card. And more, most importantly, it is a supply-side play on the basis that there are only 25 listings left. If you're taking a look at... Uh, TCG player and keep in mind most of these have already been handed out or will be shortly at your local LGS's a lot of them are just going to disappear into collections and will not be buy listed a lot of in-person buy listing still kind of awkward um, even though things are reopening 26 listings left on TCG player they start at $15 um, over in Europe we can get these at six euros plus shipping and, and conversion so probably about $10 each on average and i think if you snap those off in europe at 10 to go to 25 or even get your copies locally in north america if that's all you've got access to uh you know a couple, say at 13 dollars on facebook or something like that you're going to be doing just fine these these foil promos look great they're going to fit in a million tribal decks everything from zombies and elves to ninjas and vampires and on and on and on and you know there's not going to be any restock of these past the the pile that was already handed out to lgs's and they already look like they're in relatively short supply so i suspect that give these a year or so and they will probably demonstrate some gains i'm with you on that i mean i love a tribal land we've got uh a lot to choose from in our tribal lands and the promo frame does look pretty dang sweet um especially if you're getting it <clears throat> at the lower price uh across the pond so uh, I'm with you on this. I'll be surprised if it gets all the way to 25, given that, like, um, 
unclaimed territory hasn't gotten that high and there's only the one version of that but i think we talked about this on the set review where we were looking at the um league promos for unclaimed territory and noting that league promos were still had 100 plus listings and were only two or three dollars so whoever whoever you know called those three years ago never got anywhere however there are four to five times less of the um, secluded courtyards on TCG Player than the unclaimed territory. So it suggests that there are a lot less of the secluded courtyard promos floating around, and I think that that puts it in a different situation. Okay. I can see where you're coming from there. All right. Your first selection this this week? Uh, My first selection this week is also a Europe card. Uh, We're talking about Foil Wargate out of Alara Reborn all the way back then. Um... The deck, the card is only in about 6,000 uh, decks on EDH Rec, but uh, when we found out that the um, that Nuka Pena is all about the shards, and so uh, Bant cards immediately, you know, people started thinking about this, somebody went through and basically bought out all of the foil uh, copies of Wargate. There's only the original Alar Reborn, uh, the foil version then, and it got a Mystery Booster reprint. The card's not terribly expensive. In, in, non, in non-foil. Correct. With It is not a mystery booster foil. So right. so in 20 years, it's got a single foil. A single foil. Uh, I don't think it was 20 years ago, but not far off, not far off. Um, right now, if you look at the uh, foil copies of Wargate, uh, they're like gone from uh, TCG Player. There's uh, two near-mint foils, one at 40 one at $61. And so uh, the buyout has happened here, but it definitely hasn't happened uh, in Europe. And you can still get your foil copies for around uh, 8 euro, which is around $10. Like, plus, you know, given uh, double shipping, it's going to be a little bit more than that. But once we have a new sweet Bant Commander come out with these decks, we're going to want uh, the sweet cards to go with it and... This is going to do very well, I think. And, you know, even if I if they start selling, um, TCG starts showing foil copies selling and the uh, 30 range, you've, you know, made your money. Uh, I'm, that's where I'm picking it to go. There's a couple of things here that really work in your favor. A, as you said, this came out in 2009. Uh, so it's not 20 years, but it is 13 years since we've seen these foils. They're very hard to get through buy lists. There's going to be very few of them sitting around out there, uh, especially ones that are in near mint condition um, because nobody was like going out of their way to preserve their Wargate foils. Um, it's also not theme dependent. All this really cares about is that you're building a Bant Commander. So it does depend on how good the Bant Commander we get is and how, you know, whether that's in the top three for the set. I think that has an impact. Um, but given how cheap the remaining copies are in Europe... I don't think I'm placing an order in Europe just to get these, but I'd certainly sprinkle a few into my cart and take a flyer on them and look to unload one, two, three copies alongside other stuff during during the hype cycle for New Capenna, and I suspect it works out. Um, the fact that there's just... The, the only immediate risk is I could very easily see this being in a New Capenna-themed secret lair in the next six weeks or so. Sure. 
where where they pick some of these cards that haven't had fancy treatment or haven't had a foil in a long time and give one per shard or something and i think wargate would be a good selection there so if you get a fancy new foil wargate that could take some of the thunder out of it but <laughs> given the way secret layer works those aren't going to land till late summer yeah even so if you gonna... announced it now uh the the street fighter one that closed yeah. in february that's not coming out until late july so right you'd, yeah, yeah. you'd have so plenty you, of time you, you... yeah exactly okay so i can i can buy into that this was totally off my radar hmm one of the things that people probably haven't been paying attention to since they were complaining about it last was how the Strixhaven Mystical Archive Japanese foils are doing. Now, as it turned out, the ones that you would get out of uh, set Japanese set booster boxes ended up being the preferred ones in Japan. They carry major premiums. You've got your grape shots and your time warps and your demonic tutors and so forth. Um, but there's a bunch of just mystical archive foils that came out of english collector boosters and they have had time to drain where it's about a year later and plenty of them are maneuvering into strong positions so here's an example chaos warp is in 150,000 edh rec decks now i think that that is skewed because it's been included in some pre-cons if i'm not mistaken um, but it's still in 30 percent of all red decks uh, on the site and the Mystical Archive foils are already down to 21 listings near Mint on TCG Player. The art is fantastic. Um, I think the card is lessened, I'm sure you would agree, now that I, you can't actually tuck a commander anymore, right? Correct. Uh, you have to allow it to be tucked. Right, which no, which few people will... Yeah, will, nobody's going to be like, oh yeah, sure, go for it. So Chaos Warp doesn't get rid of commanders as effectively as it once did, but... It does send them back to the command zone, with which for expensive commanders is still, you know, just as valid as swordsing uh, a commander. And the reality is that it's still a really good way for red to deal with permanents it can't otherwise deal with, namely enchantments uh, and often planeswalkers if they don't have an unholy heat in hand. So uh, Chaos Warp still a very good card, and we're down to twenty-one listings, as I said. They started about $32, and whether you're looking at Europe or Japan or anywhere else, you're still going to pay at least that much. So it's not like there's much cheaper opportunities overseas that could uh, re restock this supply. And I suspect that these are going to go low 30s to 60 within the year um, on the basis of the popularity and how often it's selling. And if we look at the, the foil price on a one-year basis, you see it start around 30, get down to about 24, and it's been ticking up ever since. It's just been an upward curve since October. And there's very little chance it's going to reverse course. So there's also no, no major walls whatsoever. The maximum number of copies from anybody listing on here is two. There's no gaming company wall. Mm -hmm. And and we've got Alexis, a, a you know ex Wizards employee, pro trader, and TCG player vendor extraordinaire at the top end of the curve, looking to get ninety dollars placeholder price for her <laughs> copy. So so that usually sets a pretty solid standard of where smart people think it's headed. Now they we haven't had hardly any chance to get foil copies of this card. There was Commander's Arsenal. And then all the commander reprints, and then this. So if you want a shiny chaos warp, you got two choices. Well, three, I guess. 
uh, Commander's Arsenal, you have the English Strixhaven, and then the Japanese Alternate Art Strix, uh, Mystical Archive, yep. which clearly superior copy, and uh, I'm, I'm with you. It's had a long time to drain out and find the floor, and here we are. Uh, it's, is it Mythic? Yes, it is. It's, it's a Mythic out of a tricky, tricky set. And um, let's see, to get this, to get one Mythic was about every 300 packs. So, uh, sold. Uh, this is a, a solid... To get, to get a specific foil Mythic. Correct. Mr. Yes. Right. So, uh, I'm with you on this. This is a, an excellent pickup. And interestingly, I'm calling the Japanese alt art version here, but even the English version is down to 40 listings, and they're about $13, and representing a curve that's probably going to go 13 to 25 or 30 in the same time period. Um, and that, that art's very nice as well. So I, I think either of these could easily get there. I, uh, I'm a believer here. I think that's a, that's a solid pick. Uh, All right. And <clears throat> what, what is your selection? Uh, my other pick is uh, the Sketchframe Ignoble Hierarch Foils. You can get these on TCG Player for around $7. And uh, they're seeing just enough play in Modern. We're seeing it in uh, how many Commander decks? Around 15,000 Commander decks. Uh, we're going to get some new Jund Commanders. And this is a great thing to play. Sure, you've got uh, Birds of Paradise and other great one-mana creatures. But how many of them are going to give you a bonus on attack and be in your Jund colors? So uh, I like the sketch foil, the sketch frame foils. Uh, you could talk me into the regular frames as well if you wanted to. But uh, this is the one that I think offers a pretty solid growth curve from round 7 to 15 is what I'm picking it to do. So let's take a look at the Ignoble Hierarch retro frame situation, because that would be my first inclination, given that sketch frames seem to have been very lukewarm reception. If you're looking at the old border foil Noble Hierarchs, and I can't remember if these have already been called on cast yet or not, uh, but 110 listings left, $10 a piece. T to me, this, this version of the card is the one most likely to accelerate, but I think it's going to take some time. Now, that said, we are heading into a shard block. We're going to have potentially a very hot Jund commander. And so between things like Wargate and Ignoble Hierarch, a lot of this depends on how hot the commander itself is. If it's one of the top five of the season and top ten of the year, you got a pretty ch good chance of it moving some cardboard. And what's nice about Ignoble Hierarch alongside Wargate is it, it likewise does not depend on any particular theme. If that theme ends up being, in fact, Hierarch works well because it gives... Uh, potentially the infect creature that's attacking gets the exalted trigger. But if even if it's not poison-based, um, this is still an auto-include in the deck just because it ramps you well and, and assists in, in being aggressive. So, you know, retroframe foil ignormal hierarch would be my inclination, which are currently around $10. But sketch being, you know, 6 or $7, you know, maybe there is more room to gain there. I'm not sure. Yeah, like I said, the... Um... Any of the versions you could talk me into, and I would I would be a believer. If you think that the uh, commander play is going to get there, then I, I agree the retro frame foils is probably where you'd want to be. But uh, for now, uh, I think the sketch offers the right frame of unique and foil and the right price. Alrighty. Uh, my final selection of the week is another Mystical Archive Japanese alt art. This time it is Approach of the Second Sun. 
uh, out of Mystical Archives. These are down to 20 listings, uh, and it is a mythic as well. So you can see that there's a consistent supply level here among the popular mythics. Um, Approach is not quite the EDH all-star that Chaos Warp is. It's in 24,000 EDH rec decks. 5% of all white decks run it. It runs a train on me constantly in Historic uh, when I'm fighting against other control decks because Approach the Second Sun uh, is very difficult to deal with unless you have enough counter spells. And down to just 20 listings, as I said, no major walls either. Very easily see this going from about 22 or so to 40 within the year. Uh, that's, that's real hard to argue with. Um, my only beef would be, uh, Approach the Second Sun is always a card I have to read three times to understand, like, oh my god, I'm dead. We, you've won. The game's over. So, uh, an alternate language card is, uh, less preferable in, for me, but, you know, it's got the EDH rec chops, you know, uh, lots and lots of decks want to play it. You know, just gotta play it and protect it and you win which is everything a control player wants out of life. And if we look at the, you know, people debate, uh, a constant debate in MTG finance circles is foil or non-foil. All you got to look at the chart on TCG player for what has happened to the two versions. The foils got down to about 20 and have slowly drifted up a little bit over the course of the last six months. The non-foils started out around 15 and have gotten down to 10. On, on a steep downward curve that doesn't doesn't even signal that it's stopped yet. So pretty clear that the the foil fancy versions are the most capable of hollowing out the soonest and then seeing a quick uptick. Um, and I think that's a theme you see over and over again with these high high rarity promo subsets. Um, all right, so let's move on to our pro trader selection of the week. We've got TK421 calling out the uh, Zendikar, Expedi- Zendikar Rising Expedition for Seachrome Coast, currently available around $30. He's calling it to go to $30 to $50 or $55 within the year on the back of blue-white control uh, using the card in modern play. It's down to 24 listings as well, no major walls, and again, there's no easy way to restock those given that the Zendikar... Uh, rising collector booster boxes are now pushing, mm, I want to say they're pushing 200 plus. Let me just take a look at that quickly. The collector yeah. boosters? I, I feel like these were yeah. in the, were the, weren't these a box topper no, no. of some kind? No, okay. No, they are, but only a non-foil. So uh, in set booster boxes, right. they're non-foil. And, in, and they have the uh, spot UV gloss on them um, so they're not strictly non-foil and then the ones that came out of the collector booster boxes were foils and you get you get two in there uh, and yeah they're at 200 and the cheapest copy or box of a of ZNR collector boosters is now 285 or so no 295 on TCG player and pushing 300 plus so you're not nobody's going to be cracking these for value anymore and subsequently relevant expeditions are are on the move. I've sold all sorts of German, Russian, Japanese, English, foil and non-foil of a variety of different expeditions this week. It's just getting to the correct time for these to be attractive outs. And given that we know that the 
um, allied fetches will likely next be seen in the Lord of the Rings set next year. Um, enemy fetches could be left alone for a little while here. It could be three years or four years before we see enemy fetches again, because they gave us three or four opportunities at them in the space of about 18 months. I mean, it's a it's a cool looking frame. Uh, it's a, a good way to get a sweet version of a card without it being, um, you know, too backbreaking. Uh, I'm I'm with you on every part of this. This is uh, a card that we're going to enjoy greatly. All right, so we can move on over to our weekly topic. We're going to be going over the Commander Legend 2 reveals. This is going to be for Commander Legends Baldur's Battle for Baldur's Gate. And they did a live stream last week that showed off some new cards and talked about um, some uh, details of the set. Probably the biggest uh, confirmation was that they are reprinting the Battle Bond uh, Commander duels. So we're getting... Uh, Spire Garden, Sea of Clouds, Morphic Pool, Luxury Suite, and Bountiful Promenade, last seen in the ZNR Expeditions. So presumably we'll be getting foil extended art versions of those. Um, but they, they didn't show off any additional treatment beyond that. And I think that's actually a good thing if you're holding the Expeditions, because I think the, I think the Expeditions are fancier. And so your best version of a fancy Morphic Pool is probably the ZNR Expedition Foil Morphic Pools. I've got plenty of Japanese versions of that I would be looking to sell this year. And I suspect that the lack of a clearly better option will be helpful there. Yeah. Um, like we, we know that we're getting um, the, the borderless lands, uh, versions of these lands. That's in the um, the actual article of the first look, so we're we're going to have sweet versions and well, not borderless extended art. Frank. I'm sorry, you're right. Uh, extended art is not the same as borderless. You are correct. Uh, my bad. We're getting a, a sweet reflecting pool to go with that too, uh, which is one of my favorites. And so currently, market price on Morphic Pool original Battlebond copies is thirty one dollars. The non foil version from Zendika Rising Expeditions is at forty. Foils uh, of the expeditions are at 44 or so with 20 listings left. Those foil extended arts do create drag on any other fancy version, but they're going to be, first of all, the extended arts will be buys, the regular copies will be buys, like they're going to get cheap, and then you can map the progress, the likely progress on them against what we saw with Commander Legends. If you go back and look at how the Commander Legends foil extended arts, extended arts, and regular copies have done, you'll have a pretty good sense uh, of wh when you want to be getting in. And somebody tried to recommend those to me today, and I went back and took a look at, like, say, something like Rejuvenating Springs, but to my eye, it didn't look like there was any immediate impetus. There's actually quite deep supply on, on just regular copies of these, like Rejuvenating Springs, looking at near, normal near-mint copies from Commander Legends, which is now, what, a year, almost a year and a half ago? 148 listings left, and there are plenty of small wall and mid-sized walls, uh, ranging from 6 to $10 or so. So I would imagine that those are going to be slow, steady gainers, but I wouldn't be in a rush to snap off the Baldur's Gate 
uh, non-foil versions because I suspect we're going to get a get a shot at those either through a group buy or just market regular market access, and that they're you know you might be able to buy them a year out before you know without tying up your money. Yeah, uh, patience is going to be the watchword on this one because there's uh, going to be a whole lot, and you don't no one will need to be in any kind of a hurry to uh, make this happen. You know. I'd also say the, the art on these is fine, not amazing. Uh, and so I, I really do think that those the, the foil expeditions are likely to see some additional traction this year because I think people looking for the fanciest version of these cards are not going to be gravitating to the, the foil extended arts uh, ahead of the expeditions. Um, they also re- revealed that we're getting Reflecting Pool reprinted. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And was there a promo version of it? Reflecting announced? Pool? Yeah, I don't think there was a promo version of it. No, I guess there wasn't. I, I think the only two promos they they listed were that the buy a box is going to be a card called Elder Brain, five and two black for a horror six six with menace. Whenever Elder Brain attacks a player, exile all cards from that player's hand. Then they draw that many cards. So if they have six, you exile six. Then they draw six. You may play lands and cast spells from among the exiled cards for as long as they remain exiled. If you cast a spell this way, you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast it. So we've seen this effect many times, but never quite so crazy. So the, the best <laughs> use of this is to be using Fable the Mirror Breaker or something to your you give this thing haste. And it's an on-attack trigger. It doesn't actually have to connect. A lot of the times these kind of triggers are on hit, but this is on attack. So you are stealing the hand and being able to cast it for the rest of the game. So somebody's got a Reliquary Tower out and they've got 10 cards in hand. Boom, you've got 10 bonus cards to use for the rest of the game, whether or not anybody deals with the Elder Brain. So that's pretty cute. Uh, not an ama- like not you know an earth-shattering card by any means, but one that people will field in Commander because it's fun. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you, uh, we talked, uh, you and I talked once about... Um... The ninja rat who has a similar effect, and uh, this guy's uh, up there with on the amazing scale. Where well, uh, I'm cer- I mean, th- he's certainly fun to put into Sasoro ninjas because you can ninjutsu him in. <laughs> uh, oh no, that doesn't actually work because it's an attack trigger. You need yeah. him to swing. You need him to swing. You need it to get uh, there. Not not. Yeah, you need him to be the primary swinger. Although you you can do cute... There are still cute things to do in the deck because you have other ways in the deck to get things in and then swing with them. Like, get things in end of turn on your opponent's turn and then swing on the next turn. And then ninjutsu... Like, get the attack trigger, which is all you really wanted out of it. Put the outer brain back in your hand and get a ninjutsu trigger as well. Um, But maybe there are better homes. I mean, this is an amazing Ishin trigger, isn't it? Yes, because Ishin doubles it. So yeah, it's probably better in, in Ishin because then you can pick two players and steal both their hands, uh, which should be good GGs as long as you're not uh, easily able to be dogpiled in response. Uh, I think you have to get uh, all 14, if it's 14, however many, you get the uh, from the same player because it's whenever it attacks a player, exile that player's hand. So Oh... But, oh, right, so you're saying thinking stack two triggers and then resolve one and then resolve the second and they cycle their hand twice? Yeah. That sounds right. 
Yeah, you're, that makes more sense. Okay. Uh, still fun. Now, I think the card I like best here is the Planeswalker they revealed. Minsk and Boo, Timeless <laughs> Heroes. Now, if people played the original video game Baldur's Gate, you would understand why this is uh, an interesting character. Because this was like this weird uh, dude that you would encounter at various port points throughout the game who was clearly mentally deranged and had a best friend that was a hamster and was always talking about how the hamster was like a soup like was super powerful but you never actually got to see it do anything until a certain point in the game and and so this is that you know pair of characters made into a planeswalker card and they think that i think they've made a very flexible um card that has all sorts of synergies with other commander cards but is just straight up good even if it's the only permanent you have on the table this is two red green for a three loyalty planeswalker when it enters the battlefield and at the beginning of your upkeep you may create boo a legendary one one red hamster creature token with trample and haste so boo is there ready to block for your planeswalker or go on the attack right away and then the Planeswalker abilities are plus one loyalty for pl- put three plus one plus one counters on up to one target creature with Trample or Haste. So you put it into play, you get Boo, and you can immediately make it a 4-4. Four, four. Seems solid. And then the minus two is Sack a Creature, and when you do, it deals X damage to any target where X is that creature's power, and if the sacrificed creature was a hamster, you draw X cards. So you play the Planeswalker, you make boo for free uh you have you can up it to turn it into a four four to make sure nobody attacks into your planeswalker and on the next turn you've got to deal with somebody's commander or problematic combo permanent or something and you sack boo draw four cards and kill the thing for just a loyalty drop and and then immediately you get boo back at the start of the next turn so you get Boo uh, your upkeep. It's not like uh, an every upkeep trigger. But yes, you you get to do all kinds of yeah, your next turn. redundant over and over fun things. And then just in case you needed any more text on this card, it can be <laughs> your commander. Yeah, we need to lead with that next time. That we get a, a brand new sweet commander to do these things with. So this this is going to be a very popular card. It just does all the things. And then if you get into, I've got equipment, or I'm running, uh, what's that green enchantment out of Midnight Hunt that doubles the power of your creatures on attack? Oh, uh, Unholy Growth? Unnatural Growth? Right, Unnatural Growth. Right, so Boo on turn turn one is an 8-8 Trample Haste. (laughs) Uh, Or blocking as an 8-8. So, yeah, and, and with any amount, any equipment on the board, like you throw a Shadow Spear on this and swing for five uh, on that first turn, gain five. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on here. So that's tip of the iceberg for the ways you're going to be able to, you know, get cute with this card. And the card is just cute to begin with. So I, I, And I would imagine the Borderless version will have some hopefully sweet art. And yeah, uh, I think this one's a good one. It, uh, you, if you look at the article and scroll down a little bit, you'll see the borderless art. It's exactly, it's close to the other one where you have uh, Minx and he's got like Boo in his hand and Boo is just like taking the fly and leap because that's what Boo does. So um, it, it is pretty sweet. It, it's hard to argue with its sweetness. 
Yeah. They also showed us Ancient Brass Dragon, so continuing with the... For people that don't play D&D, there's a whole bunch of dragons. There's chromatic dragons, <laughs> there's jewel dragons, there's good dragons and bad dragons. There's like 50 dragons. Like They put out a whole book this year, a source book for D&D, that was just dragons. Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons, and it was just a couple hundred pages of dragons. So it's called Dungeons and Dragons. Consequently, there are many, many dragons, and the... Ancient Brass Dragon was one they showed off here. Seven mana for a 7-6 flying Elder Dragon. Whenever Ancient Brass Dragon deals combat damage to a player, roll a d20. Whenever you do, put any number of target creature cards with total mana value X or less from your from graveyards onto the battlefield under your control where X is the result. So, yeah. So you roll a d20. On average, you're getting 10. So right. when this thing deals combat damage to somebody, you get 10 casting CMC worth of creatures from all graveyards. All graveyards, under your, not just un, Under your control. That's a lot of creatures. It is. God bless. So that's pretty fun. Uh, uh, that's a good is, creature to re- reanimate with haste. That would be good. Uh, you also, uh, like, this seems like a dead giveaway that uh, we're going to get a whole cycle of stuff. Right? Like, if we're getting one... Are we really going to get one Elder Dragon? No. We're going to get the whole... We're going to get a cycle of Elder Dragons. Although, i got to say that, given that the, the format this is targeted at is Elder Dragon Highlander, I kind of feel like the Elder Dragons should have been made legendary so that they could be played as commanders. I can see that, but, like, the, if you're going to make the a legendary monocolor dragon, it, it's not really there. We got legendary monocolor dragons in uh, AFR. Uh, so let's see, what else do we get? One of the promos is Wand of Wonder. Three and a red artifact, four tap, roll a d20. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile an instant or sorcery card, then shuffle the rest into their library. You may cast up to X instant and or sorcery cards from among cards exiled this way without paying their mana cost based on the d20 roll. If you rolled one to nine, you get to cast one spell. If you rolled 10 to 19, you get to roll two. And if you rolled a 20, a nat 20, uh, is a is a thing in D in D and D. You get to ro- you get to cast three. So if you're, you're hopefully you're playing against like an is it Grixis Jeskai commander with a whole bunch of instants and sorceries in their deck, and you're going to pull a bunch of sweet nonsense and cast on average probably two of them for free, and that's going to be pretty good for you, I would imagine. And the cute thing about this is it's not a like one time use effect. You do this every turn. There's a lot of cards that uh, have done something where you get to play somebody else's cards, and they are always so much fun. And this way, you get you don't have to choose. You don't have to wait for your favorite. You just get in there. The art on this, the art on this is also pretty sweet, and I bet you it's going to look awesome in extended art foil. It's because it's a bunch of like it's like the the wand itself has like a glow around it, and there's a bunch of glowing butterflies flying around. So probably going to look pretty good. We're also getting reprints of Lightning Bolt and Fireball, uh, which are D&D spells that Magic stole way back in the day. So uh, (laughs) appropriate to be included here. Um, The commander decks are going to be called Party Time, Mind Flayars, Draconic Descent, and Exit from Exile. So... uh, that's that. It seems, I think we heard that the set booster boxes are only going to have 18 packs in them. Uh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I remember Instead that. of 30. 
So question mark on what the cost is, because if those are priced the same, but you're getting significantly less packs, you know, 18 uh, versus 30 is 40% less packs, uh, then there's going to be question marks around the value of the set booster boxes. Yeah, I mean, it, they, I mean, it, if they're going to goose what's in them, then 18 isn't going to feel quite as bad, but it, it still might feel pretty bad. And then we know collector booster boxes are only going to exist in English, German, French, and Japanese, which is pretty standard. Um, and they still have 12 packs. So... But I suspect they're going to charge more for these, just like they did with Commander Legends. And yes. the question becomes how many of these they're going to print. Commander Legends had a print run issue, and consequently the Commander Legends collector booster boxes are up to something quite ridiculous, actually. I think it's... Let me just check TCG pricing on that. Uh, if we're looking at the collector booster display boxes, they are way up there. Yeah. $500 a piece. I've, I've sold a couple at that price. So let's argue that pro traders are going to get access to these somewhere between 200 and 240. The question is, how big is the print run? Because the print run is anything like the original, then these are, you know, rock solid specs in the sense that you're looking to get a, at least a 50% gain within two years on, on your sealed product, which is, is quite solid. Um, but if the print run is very large and open-ended, these might get real cheap and they'll take longer to mature, but we'll still probably get there over time. Yeah, uh, you know, it's again, it's going to depend on what's in them. The Commander Legends uh, collector booster boxes have, you know, uh, foil extended art jeweled lotus, which is uh, ridiculously rare. Although compared to neon foil, neon red Hitagetsu, it's not rare at all. It's in like, what did I do the math for? Uh, it was one in 400, uh, booster, collector booster packs. So we'll see what kind of super rare foolishness they come up with for us. There will certainly be an open-ended question mark heading into preview season as to whether they have made an effort to present a Jeweled Lotus-esque card in this mix. I suspect that that would be a declared goal at the design table, um to fulfill expectations and the question is did they hit the mark or not because keep in mind this is the you know along the way they have coughed up things like mox tantalite yeah um which i still haven't forgiven them for the build-up on that because they did a whole thing where they basically talked about the card for like an hour on stream one day where right. they showed they showed the artist going through the process of finishing the art like starting from sketch on on canvas and then completing the art and the art was gorgeous right and so you're thinking oh wow show us the so card good. this is going to be amazing so and then it was good. just like oh it's a uh, suspend box okay then <laughs> so uh hopes are high for a jeweled lotus but we'll have to wait and see what they cough up uh do um, you think they would just take the direct route and reprint jeweled lotus nope i don't not no, not a moment hesitation. Zero hesitation. People always seem to think that cards are going to get re like oh they're going to reprint Ragavan this summer. No my no man. No they're not. That set is not even out of print. And Commander Legends is barely out of print. You can still get Commander Legends booster boxes from distribution. 
So jeweled lotuses are still technically available in print. There's no way they're going to cough up that the hyper rare mythic again right now. They will do that at some point, but you're talking Double Masters 3 2025 or something um, when they'll reprint Jeweled Lotus. Like it'll get a reprint for sure because it's just too much money for them to leave on the table, but they don't need to give it to you again here because they can give you something else, some other crazy thing. It'll be a Jeweled Lotus that's a flip card into a Ragavan. I mean... <laughs> that seems fair. <laughs> Jeweled Lotus that flips into Ragavan. Um, but you just said a second ago they need something to, to match the... Yeah, uh, so they'll design one. It's not it's not that hard to design it. It's hard to create balanced cards <laughs> that are great in formats but don't un, that don't upend them. It is not hard to design a Jeweled Lotus, to design something ridiculous. That, that they do very easily. I'm sure, like, Ragavan probably started more modest and then somebody was like, we gotta juice this set. Let's Let's give that thing better stats doesn't cost two it costs one and it's got dash go nope that's not enough it creates a treasure token okay that's pretty good ah but it also knocks the top card off their library and you can cast it maybe with treasure token oh that's too good yeah but we're gonna do it because we want to make money i I mean they knew ragavan they knew ragavan was busted there's no there's nothing mysterious about that card it's it's literally uh, power creep against every other one drop ever so yeah they they know what they're up to and they will absolutely provide something that as- that you know at least aspires to matching jewel Lewis. um all right so we got we got more previews coming up on this set in coming weeks now we also have been it's kind of weird we're in like a dual preview season I mean, Where, why would we only have one? We don't have a secret lair right now. Can you believe it? It's not even just that the previous seasons are close together. They are in some ways overlapping. Uh, that That's the kind of awkward thing here. And and keep in mind, we were supposed to have the un, uh, Unfinity. Unfinity set or this spring as well. So we should have actually had an even more messed up preview season. But, you know, it's it's... Fortunately for all of us that are creating content, it's a it's a little more tame. They have coughed up a few more uh, new Capenna cards this week. We got two of the charms revealed. So we got the Maestro's charm, the Grixis charm. Uh, modal card, of course, has a charm. You choose one of the following three options. Look at the top five cards of your library. Put one of the cards into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Each opponent loses three life and you gain three life. Maestro charm deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. This is like middle of the road. It's probably most interesting in the mode that it might be underestimated at first. The thing where you look at five, one into your hand, four into your graveyard. Yeah, that's a, a lot. Pretty good, that's a lot. That's a pretty good way of stalking your graveyard with reanimation targets. It's a pretty good way of setting up delve. It's a pretty good way of getting graveyard-specific combos going. Um, that mode is probably going to be underestimated. It's very powerful. And uh, the middle mode, I think, is the, the worst. Like, three to the table, you gain three, especially in EDH, is going to see the least amount of play. But the backup plan of just killing a creature or Planeswalker is very solid. So I'd, I would imagine that there will end up seeing at least standard play for this card. And then I'm running uh, Esper Angel Control in Historic. and I was So I was looking over this other charm, Obscura Charm, which is the Esper Charm. Uh, return target multicolored permanent card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. 
counter target instant or sorcery spell, or destroy target creature or planeswalker with mana value 3 or less. This would be so much more interesting to me if they hadn't bumped Teferi uh, Time Raveler's casting cost on Arena to 4 casting cost. Right. Because at 3 casting cost, oh boy, do I like this card. (laughs) Because then it's like, counter their approach of the second sun, or destroy the elf lord that's a or goblin lord that's about to get me killed or return to fairy from my graveyard tapped i mean these, these are all these are all very good modes in my deck yes they're they're very very good uh, but the the target return target multicolored permanent with mana value three does limit your options uh quite a bit so i suspect that give in paper however you can still fool around with teferi like that Yes, you will do some uh, ridiculously busted things with this card, especially because um, they, you know, I was thinking about what we got in, um, you know, Shards of Alara and what they've learned. Like, the ultimatums in Shards of Alara were pre-Commander, right? Commander was barely a thing in 2009 and definitely wasn't a thing when they were first designing uh, the set in, you know, two years before that. So we're going to get things that are more uh, in line with uh, ridiculous commander plays with amazing other plays. There's, there's going to be some, some really great stuff going on. I'm looking forward to the the change that they're going to make here. There's a couple of follow-up points that are worth making. First of all, they didn't make the charms rares. They're uncommons. So that, that significantly limits their speculation potential. The other issue is that three and four color and five color spells in general are harder to spec on than single color spells that fit into a ton of archetypes. Because if you don't have a very popular Esper commander, for instance, right, it's going to be tough to gain ground. So... In a set like this, on your first pass looking for specs, look for monocolored cards. Because they can't make the whole set multicolored. Look look for the, the S-tier staple that doesn't require you to be in shard colors, and you're going to be closest to your goal. Right. Think about something like a smothering tithe, right? You're looking for your smothering tithe of the set. Yes, you are. Alrighty. Any uh, any further commentary on the reveals this week? Uh, just that I'm like I said the the ultimatums, uh, the charms really like sing to standard usefulness and commander usefulness, and it's not like the the original charms were were bad for for that. But uh, I'm really uh, looking forward to uh, the goodness that is um, a new set of ultimatums, a new set of cards we can um you know that we can what's the word i'm looking for that we can see as being awesome in commander and in standard is what i'm trying to say sure um final final commentary for the week did you catch the uh minotaur deck that top aided in legacy this week I did see that Didgeridoo, uh, somebody posted that Didgeridoo is about to become a $100 card thanks to Legacy. Yeah, so 
Let me see if I can track this down. I had it up in the Pro Trader Discord, but I was I, I moved around. How do you spell this? Uh, D I D G. There it is. Got it. So this is a Homelands card that's oh, kind yeah. of been a joke because it's it has spiked on Minotaur inclusion in sets Every multiple time. times. Every time. N- never for any good reason. It's an artifact for one, uh, which is their first step to being legacy principle, uh, print, uh, playable. And then for three, you take a Minotaur from your hand and put it directly into play. So somebody figured out that there was a bunch of really busted EDH Minotaurs that you could put into play in Legacy that would be hard for people to deal with. Um, and just went to town making this kind of ridiculous list where they have, I think, 12 Minotaurs or something in the deck. Like Morog is in there, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Six drop. Uh, Fury of Akum out of uh, Zendikar Rising. This is a 6-6. Six, six. Each creature you control gets plus one, plus zero for each time it has attacked this turn. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control with its landfall trigger, you get an additional combat phase. So if you Tajeri do this thing into play and swing, then things get real silly in a hurry. I mean, it's only three mana. What's what, what's not to love on a... You know, Legacy is a spot where you want to play these incredible reserve list cards, like an artifact for one that for three mana, you get your free Minotaur. <laughs> Summons Minotaurs. Yeah. And there's nothing, there, there's no, you can't be any swaggier than killing people with Morog and Legacy. That, I just, like, meme deck plus Minotaur plus Legacy, uh, Godspeed. That's nothing but goodness. I have generally no interest in Legacy. But this is the kind of deck that might get me off my ass to go down to a legacy tournament and just absorb the disbelief. <laughs> as a deck as a deck builder first and a competitor second, <laughs> this definitely tickles tickles the right spot. I mean, yeah, that's 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 great. I want to see like legacy tournaments where dual lands are banned and see what happens. You know, do people just play right, the I, same I, thing? I missed our sponsor bumper lately. Let me uh, let me jump in on that. Now is likely a good time to remind you all about the Cool Stuff Inc. customer rewards program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon Finance 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off Magic Singles and Assorted Minis, uh, a discount I've used many times. Head on over to CoolStuffInc.com today to build your loyalty and save big. Cliff, where, where can folks find you online? You can find me online at Word of Commander, as well as my weekly articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you folks can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Thanks so much for another awesome show, James. This is, this is wonderful times. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Thank mm-hmm. you.